Yes, it's Election Day 2021, and we're reminded that just about a year ago, we had an election stolen from us in the presidential race. There's little doubt about that in my mind after looking at all the mathematical data. Of course, if you say that to people, they will tell you that you're a conspiracy theorist, that all these court challenges were thrown out. That is not true. Most of these challenges were never even heard because various courts didn't want to take up the cases because they didn't lack the intestinal fortitude to do so. They didn't want to be the naysayers. But the mathematical probabilities at play here prove without a shadow of a doubt that all 330 uh, matrices, which predict presidential victories or loss, all accrue to Donald Trump's favor. For example, you never get voter turnout of 95% like you had in some of these locations. Be that as it may. Hi, everyone. I'm Jamie Dury, and welcome to the Jamie Dury Show podcast. If you've not already done so, please subscribe to the show. You can do so in one of three easy ways. You can go to either the Google Play Store or the iTunes App Store, search out the Jamie Dury Show, and click subscribe. Or you can search out the free Podbean app in either of those two app stores. Download that, search out the Jamie Dury Show, and subscribe that way. Whichever way you decide to subscribe, You will be notified when new episodes are uploaded. You will be able to leave reviews and comments, and we are desperately in need of both. We have a few up there already, but the more we get, the faster the show will grow, the more people will be aware of it, and the more we will be able to offer you in the way of interviews with other people, perhaps a call in line, etc. So last year, they stole an election from us. This year, they're seeking to steal our country from us. Now, I'm know this is going on in many states in the union. Uh, Former President Trump uh, issued a statement indicating that he recommended that any state initiatives or local initiatives that were on the ballot that you vote no on, because most of them were designed to take away freedoms from you or increase your tax burden. Let me concentrate, for example, just to illustrate this point, on my home state of New York. In New York, we have, I believe, five statewide ballot proposals. Some, I think, were local. I think all total, there were about six proposals on the ballot when I voted this afternoon. I voted no on every single one of them. And let me take each one in turn, just so you understand what's going on, because these things are written in a very, very terse fashion to give you the impression that it's to your benefit to vote for it. They don't really tell you the details, and they don't cast it in the appropriate light, which would indicate that it's really to your detriment to vote for it. So ballot proposal number one in the state of New York, form of submission of proposal number one, an amendment, amending the apportionment and redistricting redistricting process. This proposed constitutional amendment would freeze the number of state senators at 63, amend the process for counting of the state's population, that means change it, delete certain provisions that violate the United States Constitution, Repeal and amend certain requirements for the appointment of the co-executive directors of the redistricting commission and amend the manner of drawing district lines for congressional and state legislative offices. Shall the proposed amendment be approved? I vote no. Now, let me give you what happens here. Abstract of the proposal. Let's go all over it just to give you an example. The purpose of this proposal is to amend portions of Article 3 of the New York State Constitution that relate to the way 
district lines for congressional and state legislative offices are determined. It would do the following. It would amend and repeal portions of the state constitutional amendment that was adopted by voters in 2014 that created a redistricting commission. In other words, they're asking you to approve an amendment that would usurp the authority you asserted as the voting public back in 2014 because they don't like the way you voted in 2014. So they're trying to get this slipped by you under a different guise. It would also allow the redistricting uh, commission to appoint two co-executive directors by simple majority vote without consideration as to the party affiliation of the individual being appointed, meaning if they had a simple majority of vote in a Democratic state, they could appoint two co-executive directors who are both Democrats and basically have uh, unilateral authority over these commissions. Furthermore, this amendment would eliminate the alternative process currently in place that allows for the appointment of co-executive directors and co-deputy executive directors by the legislature should the redistricting commission fail to appoint co-executive directors and remove the requirement that the two co-executive directors of the redistricting commission be members of different political parties. So what did I say? Rules for thee, not for me. They want to have complete control, these Democrats. They want to be able to appoint, just by the commission vote, two new executive directors, both from the same party, freeze conservatives and alternative voices out. It would freeze the number of senators currently at at 63. Currently under the state constitution, the number of senators was originally set at 50 and thereafter increased over time to 63. So this is an attempt for government to prevent any control or shrinkage by the people by restoring the number of senators to 50. Government is like a cancer, ladies and gentlemen. Aside from discharging certain things which it must do, it seeks to increase the power in itself, as John Adams, our second president, observed. It would require that the state assembly and Senate district lines be based on the total population of the state and require the state to count all residents, including non-citizens and Native Americans, if the federal census fails to include them. In other words, we're not going to base our districting lines and Senate lines and what have you based on the federal census. We're going to base it on our own census. And if we got a few more people in there, we'll just do what we see fit. Uh, It would provide for incarcerated people to be counted at their place of last residence instead of at their place of incarceration for the purpose of redistricting. This practice is already established by state statute for Senate and Assembly districts. It would revise the procedure for drawing and approving congressional and state legislative districts scheduled to be first applied in 2022. The proposed amendment would alter the redistricting procedure in the following ways. Change the redistricting map approval procedures for the redistricting commission and legislature by making changes to the voting thresholds needed to approve or adopt a plan. Under this proposal, approval of a plan by the redistricting commission would require at least seven votes out of the ten commissioners in favor thereof. There would no longer be a requirement that at least one commissioner 
appointed by each of the legislative leaders vote in favor of a plan in order to approve it. A plan approved by at least seven commissioners must be approved by a majority of each house of the legislature to be approved. However, in the event that the commission votes on but does not have the seven votes needed to improve the plan, the commissioner is required to send the legislature the redistricting plan or plans that garnered the most vote. The legislature would then be able to adopt such a plan with a 60% majority. So you see, these proposals, or this proposal in particular, is designed to eviscerate the control that the citizenry has over how things are done in their state. The text of Proposal Number 1, an amendment, concurrent resolution of the Senate Assembly. But this goes on and on and on. They're too long to read, but I thought that first one would be illustrative of the problems that are are here, because that first ballot proposal is just too long. Ballot proposal number two, uh, right to clean air, clean water, and a healthful environment. The proposed amendment to Article 1 of the New York Constitution would establish the right of each person to clean air and water and a healthful environment. No. The purpose of this proposal is to protect public health and the environment by adding the right of each person to clean air and water and a healthful environment to the Bill of Rights in the New York State Constitution. It's a little bit ridiculous. I don't know what it does, except enhance the power of the state by trying to say they have the um, uh, de facto approval of the citizenry to do whatever they want. This number three was real interesting to me. Eliminating the 10-day advance voter registration requirement. Now, in the beginning, if you look at it, most people who think that these um, voter registration laws are too loose, it would think that eliminating that 10-day requirement would bring us back to a more lengthy period. No. The proposed amendment would delete the current requirement in Article 2, Section 5, that a citizen be registered to vote at least 10 days before an election and would allow the legislature to enact laws permitting a citizen to register to vote less than 10 days before the election. Shall that proposed amendment be be approved? No, because eliminating the 10-day period just creates a greater opportunity for fraud. People who have no business voting at all, could register as little as the day before or even the same day, as we've seen happen in some other states. So it's ridiculous. We don't want that. Number four, authorize no-excuse absentee ballot voting. The proposed amendment would delete from the current provision on absentee ballots the requirement that an absentee voter must be unable to appear at the polls by reasons of absence from the county or illness or physical disability. No, you're just increasing more voter fraud. Okay, another one. Let's go to proposal number five, increasing the jurisdiction of the New York City Civil Court. The proposed amendment would increase the New York City Civil Court's jurisdiction by allowing it to hear and decide claims for up to 50,000 instead of the the current jurisdictional limit of 25,000. No. And then increasing the jurisdiction of the court. We've already seen that. Um, no reason to do that. I think if you don't go to New York City civil court, you have to go to uh, a state civil court, and that's probably 
uh, a better way to go. But none of these things really addressed very pressing issues, nothing about infrastructure or other more pressing matters in the state of New York. No, most of them about increasing the state's authority to let any third world bum that manages to drag themselves across the Rio Grande to vote here. Because all you're doing by eliminating these things, the 10-day voting period and so forth, and redistricting laws, redistricting by population, is just allowing the undue influence of people who have no reason to be here to vote. Why should a particular area of the state get more representation, particularly if it's a liberal area? You get some place populated by people who are living on the dole, places like the South Bronx, Why should they get more representatives who are going to vote for more of the same simply because more people who don't belong here in the first place because they're here illegally decided to plot their butts down in the South Bronx? Does that make sense to you? Even though they're not allowed to vote legally, although they're going to try everything they can to let them vote, they are getting a de facto vote because their presence is being allowed uh, as an excuse for increasing state representation and now congressional representation. This is a complete corruption of the electoral process in this state. And this is what you got what you're dealing with. Now it was bad enough that they made the changes they did last year, ostensibly under the um, authority of COVID, which was laughable. People couldn't stand in line to vote because of COVID and social distancing, but they can go to Walmart. And go there. And now the Department of Justice, who never challenged any of these laws as they stood before they were changed in light of COVID, now want to investigate any state that wants to change the laws back to what they were pre-COVID on the false position that if they're doing that, they're trying to uh, restrain voter rights. They're trying to curb voter rights. How is returning to that which existed before, which was not challenged, trying to restrict people's right to vote? No. All it's doing is restricting the ability for people to falsify votes. There's nothing wrong with returning. And so these states are trying to do these initiatives to try and achieve what's also simultaneously trying to be achieved achieved by the Justice Department. But the Justice Department has been very, very busy lately. Let me explain. Just a few issues I wanted to highlight. That was one. I just wanted to highlight these ballot initiatives. Now let's move on to some other little tidbits. Now, if you've been reading the news, you know that uh, parents across this country have been protesting at local school boards, as is their right, uh, to Uh, as to what their children are being taught. Now, you know about this critical race theory, which is a bunch of garbage. Uh, All white people are bad. The United States is bad. It was illegitimately founded. We've got to change it. We've got to apologize. We really have to give away the store. But a group of House Republicans are now demanding answers in this regard from all 93 U.S. attorneys. There was a memo that was sent by Merrick Garland. You remember Merrick Garland? That was that straight-laced, middle-of-the-road, unbiased gentleman that Obama wanted to have appointed to the Supreme Court in the closing months of his administration that was stopped by Mitch McConnell. Quote, we are continuing to investigate the troubling attempts 
by the Department of Justice and the White House to use the heavy hand of federal law to target concerned parents at local school board uh, meetings and chill their protected First Amendment activity. This was a letter sent to every U.S. attorney in all 50 states. It's all about the, the memo, which was released on October 4th, which directed the FBI and the U.S. attorneys to convene meetings with state and local governments to address an alleged disturbing, quote, disturbing spike in harassment, intimidation, and threats of violence against teachers and school leaders. In other words, if you as a parent say, hey, I don't think you should be teaching my kid this nonsense, you're now characterized as harassing, intimidating, and threatening teachers. The teachers are government employees. They work for the people. The people don't work for them. U.S. Attorney Merrick Garland revealed at a congressional hearing that his department issued a memo after communicating with the White House about a letter sent from the National School Boards Association, which characterized disruptions at school board meetings as a form of domestic terrorism and hate crime. Isn't that interesting? When teachers don't like it, that the people they work for tell them, you're not going to teach this crap to my children, all of a sudden it's a form of domestic terrorism and hate crime. And they urged the Biden administration to stop this by invoking counterterrorism laws to handle angry mobs. Concerned parents, quote, voicing their strong opposition to the controversial curricula at local schools are not domestic terrorists, the Republicans in Congress said, adding that state and local authorities are already equipped with legal tools in any case, in case any parent actually crosses the line to commit a violent act. Now, so far, no one has committed a violent act that I'm aware of other than show up and tell these people to shut up. Uh, The Republicans further noted that Garland has yet to rescind the order, and they further noted that that during Garland's testimony before the House, he appeared to have no idea whether the U.S. attorney meetings he ordered were actually taking place. So not only is he a, 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 a leader who's ordering nonsense, he's rather laissez-faire, or he's lying through his teeth, and he does know. The attorneys in all 93, whatever is it, 95 districts, 93, have until the 15th of this month to respond to these materials. And we could thank Jim Jordan, who was the top Republican on the House Judiciary Committee who authorized this. But the government has even been busier. This is just the Justice Department. But our old friends at the CDC, they've been busy too. They haven't just sat idly by and done nothing. An advisory panel for the CDC uh, advised the agency to recommend that all children between 5 and 11 get Pfizer's COVID vaccine. This from an article in the Epic Times, uh, which is a great paper that people should subscribe to. People try to, um, the mainstream media tries to characterize it as a right-wing propaganda paper, but it is not. It gives a lot of very, very interesting information that really doesn't go challenged on the merits. They just try and challenge the source, the Epic Times. Now, panel members said they were worried about post-vaccination incidents of heart inflammation seen in youth, especially males, but ultimately agreed 
with CDC scientists that the benefits of vaccinating children, even those who have had COVID-19, would outweigh the risks. Now, this would seem, in my opinion, to fly in the face of what I reported a few weeks ago, including that great study out of Israel of two and a half million people that proved uh, without a shadow of a doubt that people who have been unfortunate enough to have contracted COVID-19 but survived it have an immunity that is stronger and longer lasting than anything you can get from any of these vaccines. So why this nonsense about the benefits outweighing the risks? Here we have a quote. I think the data supports that we have one more vaccine that saves lives and children and that we should be very confident to employ it to the maximum to do what is meant to do without significant concerns about serious side events since Dr. Sarah Long, a panel member and professor of pediatrics at Drexel University College of Medicine. Remember that name because when some of these kids start dropping dead from heart inflammation or other complications from the vaccine, this is the one we have to look to call on the carpet. The FDA last week granted emergency uh, use authorization for Pfizer's vaccine for children 5 to 11 after its advisory panel, save one abstention, recommended doing so. Now, this is a little bit um, scary to me. Some of the FDA advisory panel members had voiced concerns about giving the shot to all children within the age group, which uh, totals approximately 28 million children. They pointed to evidence that people who recover from COVID-19 enjoy similar levels of immunity to people who get a COVID-19 jab. Actually, they enjoy superior immunity. But counterparts on the CDC panel, formerly the Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices, seem to share little of that concern, even though young children are at much lower risk from COVID-19 than older groups. Over 1.9 million reported cases have been recorded in children between 5 and 11 since the start of the pandemic. Over 8,300 have been hospitalized with the disease, and 94 of those people have died. Now let's take those numbers and put it in mathematical perspective. 1.9 million cases of COVID have been recorded in children between 5 and 11. This is the age group that they wish to mandatorily vaccinate, right, since the start of the pandemic. 8,300 of the 1.9 million were sick enough to have to go to the hospital, okay? That is five thousandths of one percent. That's what we call in Mathematics, statistically insignificant. Of the 8,300, 94 died, but 94 out of 1.9 million. That constitutes five one hundred thousandths of 1%. That's even less than statistically significant. Now, the death of anyone is tragic, the death of a child especially so. But when you're talking about 94 deaths out of 1.9 million people, there could have been a host of anomalies or pre-existing conditions in those children that put them at risk for that death. And to say it's just because COVID is lethal is bullshit. And we don't make policies based on five hundredths I'm sorry, five 
one hundred thousandths of one percent. We don't make public policy on that. This is ridiculous. So in order to prevent basically no one dying from COVID-19 in this age group, we're going to give them a vaccine that we know can cause problems and cause children to die or grow up with inflammation of the heart. But it's only boys, so we don't care because boys are, uh, are evil from, from conception, according to the feminazis. Many panel members uh, said they hope to cut down on both COVID-19 infections and hospitalizations in children in the age group. Well, you stupid bastards, you already have a hospitalization uh, rate that's down to five thousandths of one percent. You can't zero it out. Even with vaccines, you can't zero it out. So how much lower do you expect it to go? You really can't get it low. If it was 10 percent or even five percent, I might go along with it. But this is bullshit. This is complete bullshit. There must be an awful lot of people getting an awful lot of money in government from uh, Bill Gates and other people engaged in the, in the business of producing vaccines from Pfizer and from Moderna to make every single bloody person on this earth get jabbed with this nonsense. This is ridiculous. Look, look, look at these self-serving quotes. If we wait, we may miss the chance to prevent many cases of COVID-19 in this age group. And that includes severe cases, said Dr. Matthew Daly, a senior investigator for Kaiser Permanente Colorado, who sits on the committee. How severe a case are we preventing? How many severe cases are we preventing, Dr. Daly? The number of children who, have been hosp- who were sick enough to be hospitalized was only 8,300 out of 1.9 million, five thousandths of 1%. The number of people who died, we'll consider those pretty severe, were five one hundred thousandths of a percent. And you wish to prevent many cases? You have no guarantee that you're going to cut that number down in any way, shape, or form. Since we already know that these vaccines are synthesized, they don't have antibodies, and they're not preventing people from getting it at all. This is a solution to a non-existent problem. Some studies indicate that children uh, get COVID-19 at a lower rate than adults, though several other studies have suggested they get at a similar rate, though many infections are asymptomatic. So basically, they get sick without being sick. Either way, there's no reason to vaccinate these children. Vaccinating 26 children between 5 and 11 against the virus would prevent, would prevent one case. And vaccinating 8,187 children would prevent a single hospitalization, according to CD estimates using epidemiology average across the pandemic. Does this seem like something we really need to be doing? There are children in the second grade who have never experienced a normal school year. Dr. Rochelle Walensky of the CDC's director told members, pediatric vaccination has the power to help us all change all of that. No, it does not, Dr. Walensky. All it takes to change all of that is the common sense on the part of people like yourself who apparently lack it and the balls on the part of various school boards to say enough with this horse shit. Let the kids go back to school and be kids. There's really no risk here for them. This is nonsense. This is complete and utter nonsense. These children don't need it. Most of adults don't need it. It's not preventing us from getting the disease in any case. The only thing that's preventing us from getting back to normal is fear among these 
goddamn politicians who want to rule from on high but don't want anybody else mandated. These are the same politicians like Joe Biden who want FBI employees, federal employees, the military to get vaccinated. They want private companies with 100 or more employees to mandate everyone get vaccinated or or face fines, but they don't want Congress mandated to get vaccines. They don't have to get it if they don't want. Neither does their staff or any of their aides. None of them have to get the vaccine, but you've got to get the vaccine. Rules for thee, not for me. The story doesn't change. It remains the same. I hope you all voted today. I hope you all voted against every Democrat that was running, no matter how small. We don't want them having majority in any state legislature or local legislature. There was no federal offices up for election this year, but keep it in mind for next year. And I hope you all voted no on all the proposals. As always, we ask you to write reviews on the show. And if you need to contact me directly, simply send an email to Jamie Dury. 1776, those are the numbers, 1776, at gmail.com. God bless you all till next time, and God bless the United States of America. Mm-hmm.